Psalms chapter 15 this morning. I'm just going to do the Bible reading because it's a short chapter, only five verses. Psalms chapter number 15. We're going to go through the whole chapter. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And I want you to notice two things in this chapter. I want you to notice it mentions he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So we see this as a good thing, somebody who's not changing. We also see that the one who's doing all these things that are mentioned, that he will be somebody who is never moved. Now, if I may play with your mind for a little bit, is it okay if I play with your mind as a pastor, as I'm going to pretty much use the Bible and kind of give you some conflicting messages for a moment, okay? I'm playing with your mind uh, right now. But let me just hit a few scriptures, because I want you to notice that last part that said, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. You know what? We got too many people that are moving on issues today. We got people that are changing with the times. We got people that are changing their standards. We got people that are changing religions. Everybody's moving. Everybody's changing. But you know, my Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. How dare you move? Bible says, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Don't you be moving on your doctrine. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things, which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which is within the veil. We have an anchor of the soul. We shouldn't be moving in our faith. We shouldn't be moving in our doctrine. We should be unmovable. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things which thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same. The things you've learned, the same. Commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Teach what? The same things. We ought to be teaching the same things. We ought to stay faithful to the same things. We should not move on these things. Ephesians 4.14 That we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. We don't need to be tossed to and fro. We don't need these people who are just moving around and changing everything all the time and just can't get locked in on anything. Just always moving, always changing. And you know what? I could go on and on with proof text admonishing people not to move. To stand firm. To hold the line. And let me tell you, it's not wrong to use passages like that. It's not, it's not wrong to take these Scriptures and use them as motivation not to move. It's not wrong to do that. Okay? But you, know, you as a congregation, you as Christians, you've got to learn how to make sure that you know your Bible well enough that when a preacher gets up, and he is, he's using a bunch of texts like that, is he using them properly? Is this a proper application of that text. I'm up here right now screaming at you not to move on things, but you know what, what exactly do I mean by that? And then often it causes us to have questions too because what about those who are wrong? 
Because couldn't the Methodists get up and say the same thing? Hey, listen, folks, we go all the way back to John Wesley in the 1800s, you know. And you all need to stay firm on these things. Don't move. Don't let anybody move you from these things. But, you know, don't we think people ought to come out of that and change? We're going to have Pastor Obi here next week. He used to be a Church of God pastor. You know, believed in a false gospel at one time. And he was a, he was a pastor while he was doing that. Should we, you know... You know, his people, couldn't they have used these same scriptures when he's getting tempted with once saved, always saved? You know, when he's getting tempted by that teaching, you know, they said, you know, don't you move. The things that you've learned, the same. And now you're going to go and you're going to teach your people a different doctrine? You've moved. You've violated these scriptures. But we would all say, no, that was a good thing when he moved. That was a good thing when, when he changed. On, uh, so the thing is, we do have Bible verses calling out people for not changing when they were shown the truth. And so we, uh, what are some verses we could use to preach against people who just refuse to change when we think that they should? Because again, I just threw a bunch of verses at you telling you, don't you change. Don't you move. We ain't changing. And I got Bible. Okay, but here's some other verses. And just, I, I love doing these kind of messes where we just take two things. They're, they're my favorite. Uh, for some reason, they're my favorite ones to preach. And I think, too, because it teaches all of you to think critically and to not just be blind zombie followers. Uh, that's just, I don't think that's useful for anyone. But let's look at some other verses uh, that maybe you could say are teaching people should change. In Judges 2.19, And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods that served them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Here God said they wouldn't stop doing what they were doing. They needed to change. And why wouldn't they? Because they were stubborn in their ways. You know, some of these people out there that aren't changing on doctrine, it's because they're stubborn. And, and we think that, don't we? Don't we think that when it comes to a lot of the eschatology stuff? I mean, we are convinced there is no way these people can really still believe this stuff in their heart. They're being stubborn. And we're like, you all need to change. And you're, like, and you're stubborn. And you're stiff-necked. And then they're looking at us. You're terrible because you changed. The things that thou hast learned among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. So they're calling us out. And they got verses. Uh, Hebrews 4, 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You know what he's doing here to the Hebrews? He's telling them, hey, it's time to change some things. He's telling them, hey, you've got to move on from the things of the temple. And don't be like your fathers. Don't harden your hearts. Don't be stiff-necked. It's time to change some things. And you know what? They needed to change. They needed to move on. They needed to go to this next thing. Acts 19.8 And when he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing, persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So notice that when they heard it, it was like they knew the truth, but they just hardened themselves. And instead of repenting, instead of changing, you know what they did? They started speaking evil against what Paul was saying. And then Paul, he moved on. Hebrews 3.15, While it said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For someone they had heard did provoke 
Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved forty years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and whom swear ye that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. They hardened their heart. And you know, that's the problem. You know why a lot of people aren't going to change? Their hearts are hardened. You know why a lot of people didn't want to listen to us yesterday? Because their hearts are hardened. We went out there yesterday and we weren't trying to do this, but do you realize every time we would approach these people in their full Jewish gear and get up and we're trying to present the gospel to them, we're dissing them in their minds, telling them they need to change. And it is true they need to change. They need to understand that they cannot be justified by the things of the law. They need to understand that Jesus Christ is a better high priest and that the, his, has, who offers better sacrifices and those things of the Old Covenant. They cannot save because they fall short too. There is no difference. You, you tell them there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, they're going to lose it on you. But it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. And, and unfortunately, they've hardened their heart. And I'm not even going to go into all the Scriptures, but there's a lot more Scriptures like that where people are getting called out for not changing, for being stubborn, hardening their heart. So obviously, you know, we, when it comes to these things, when we're telling people to change, you know, we're not, or when not to change, we're not trying to just tell people to blindly follow us. Okay? I don't think any pastor would at least would admit that, and I don't think most even in their hearts, you know, are trying to just use these verses to manipulate and get people to not change when they don't want them to change and use the other verses to get them to change when they need to change. But at the end of the day, we're telling people, you need to search the Scriptures. And we do see in Acts 17, verse 11, it says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, why? Therefore, because they searched the Scriptures and because the apostles were telling the truth, Therefore, many of them believed. And also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So a lot of these people, they changed when they, when they actually searched the Scriptures. And what we need to understand when it comes to this concept of being unmovable, or, and also this concept of what people will call growing, which isn't that what a lot of people do too? Whenever they leave the IFB, well, it's like, I grew. I grew out of it. You know, I used to just, you know, follow a lot of that antiquated stuff. But, you know, I didn't quit. You know, and so we'll say, you know, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. They quit. They gave up. They buckled. And they'll say, no, I grew. You know, I, I was sincere when I was, when I was an independent fundamental Baptist, but I've, I've grown out of it. And so then what do we do as Baptists? No, you know, there's no growing out of this, you know. This is unmovable time. And, you know, the truth, but the truth is, and we've got to understand, both things are true. We should all be growing. Therefore, if we're growing, we're going to be changing. But at the same time, too, we should also be unmovable. Both of these things are true. But what we, everything I preached when I went through the verses telling you not to move, those were true. Everything when I went through the verses telling you, you need to change, you need to move, those things were also true. But we've got to understand those verses don't necessarily apply to every situation. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So if there is, for example, 
let's say a doctrinal dispute going on in the church and people are wanting to change on a doctrine. If it's a doctrine they should not change on, it is an appropriate time for the preacher to get up and say, we're not moving and to use the, and to use those verses. It's appropriate, but you have to know the scriptures yourself. You have to understand the situation to know if, Hey, is he using these appropriately? Is this a time to say, let's not move. But then there's going to be other times where maybe a preacher comes along and says, Hey, we were wrong when it comes to this doctrine. And then he might use a bunch of scriptures about growing, about changing. Well, it's not hard in our heart. The question is, is he, is this the time for that? And you all have to judge that. You all are going to have to make a judgment in these situations. You can't just blindly follow somebody, but both things are true. We should all be growing. We should all be changing. We should also be unmovable. There are areas where we need to be growing and maturing and changing. There's other areas we shouldn't move at all from. And so we've got to figure out what those are, and then we've got to make proper application with the Scriptures. So there is. There is the time to remain steadfast, unmovable. But there is a time to change, repent, grow, or whatever. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so if we grow in grace and knowledge, shouldn't that change us? If that happens, I mean, do we really want to be exactly the same 10 years from now? Or do we want to be better? Well, if we're going to be better, that's going to mean we have to change some things, right? But at the same time, too, I hope as a church 10 years from now, I hope I can still say in some areas we haven't moved. I hope I can still say 10 years from now, we're still King James only and we're not sorry about it. You know, I hope we can still, I I hope there's some things that we haven't moved on, but there is a time to grow. And so just a few, if I may illustrate some common one-liners that, you know, are often used that we could easily just turn around on them. Because again, preachers get up and say things. Sometimes it's right. But, you know, I've heard this before too, and, and I'm not criticizing this. I'm saying there's a time where this is okay. There's a time where it's not okay. But you'll hear preachers get up and say, I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor so-and-so. He stood the same. He hasn't changed in over 60 years of ministry. And I know what they're trying to say with that. He stood strong with his convictions. He's been unmovable. But I could also say, too, 60 years and he hasn't grown. You know, I mean, nothing's changed in 60 years. You know, and I've had people do that, too, when they're trying to be critical of me, even recently. You know, Brother Tommy, you've changed. Okay, that can be good. That can be bad. <laughs> you know, there, there, you know, there, there's a time to change. You know, and usually what that means is you haven't conformed to my will. What I was hoping to mold you into with my great influence and knowledge, you know, you haven't become that. You've become something else. You know, and so we do, everybody uses these things to manipulate. I mean, let's just face it. Yeah, and, and that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad, but we all have a tendency to do that. And I just, you know, when, when people tell me that, I just, you know, want to say, well, listen, you know, I'm sorry. From now on, I'm going to see if I can uh, get the Holy Spirit out of my life and yet let you be the new spirit that guides me <laughs> into all truth. Because that's what people want. That, that's, what, that's what people want. You know, preaching get up. You know, I'm thankful for Pastor so-and-so who I've been able to watch grow and mature and who come a long way over the years. 
I mean, that's a good testimony too, isn't it? And we, and, and sometimes we do see that. You see people. I think it's good. I think it's good if, if a preacher gets up and says about one member, I'm thankful for brother so-and-so. I've been in this church for 12 years and they haven't changed a bit. That can be a good thing if they've been good during that 12 years. But it's also a good thing. I'm thankful for her sister so-and-so. Boy, she's changed a lot in the last 12 years. Meaning she's, she's grown. She's done better. Because, so there's, there's application for both of these. There's a time and a place. There's a time to change. There's a time not to move. And so in the end, it all comes down, you could say, to the spin that you're putting on it. You know, the uh, Bible says in Proverbs 24, 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both. That's a good conference message right there. Watch out for those given to change. Watch out for them people on the internet preaching this, you know, whacked out eschatology stuff, you know. Don't, don't listen to that. Changing on these things. We ain't changing. You see how there's a time you can do, you, you, can, you, you can use that to criticize it. And you all know, there was a time I was different on some of that stuff. And I changed. And, and most of y'all in here, you all love that. But then there's other people that hate me because of that. So there, there's a time and a place for both. And the ones that hate me for changing, they'll use the verses about being unmovable. I don't know, Brother Tommy, the things I was learning among many witnesses is the same. Commit that to faithful men. You've got a responsibility to teach the exact same things that you were taught. Well, I understand that, but at the same time, too, does that mean we have to continue errors forever? You know, I had somebody one time that brought up the fact that, you know, um, you know, they, they said, basically told me I was required to stay exactly with the doctrinal statement of our sending church. And I said, I said, I get what you're saying in principle, but you understand if that's the case. And if our church is never allowed to change that in any ways, that would also mean any churches we start will also be required to have the same thing, which means we pretty much have a denomination at that point. We don't really have independent churches at that point. You really can't have it both ways. So we'll bring these things up when we don't want somebody to change. But again, we can always find an excuse either, either way. And so we, and I don't believe we should be looking for change for just the sake of change, which is what some people want. They just always want to try something new. But we should be growing and establishing roots at the same time, becoming stronger while also always ready to purge whatever needs to be purged from our life. We should always be ready for that. Psalm 51. This, this is David. This is after he's killed Goliath. This is after many of David's great victories. But David had backslid. You want to know one of the reasons we do need, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, one of the reasons we do need to change sometimes is because we naturally backslide. Churches naturally apostatize. They naturally do that. And every individual, every church, every movement, Every denomination, every once in a while, they need a good old-fashioned reformation. Every one, every one of them does. We all, because we all natural while while trying to be unmovable, a lot of times we move. Okay, and let me tell you, some of these IFB guys always beating the drum of "Don't move, don't change." They've changed themselves. They don't even recognize it. You can go look. Listen to another preacher from 20, 30 years ago, and it, they definitely changed. And if you call them out on it, I grew. But when we grow, you know, then it's not, you know, then it's not okay. But 
Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. This death is sin with Bathsheba. According to, thy loving, uh, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from sin. That's going to change you a little bit if God does that. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear, clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What's he, he's wanting God to clean him up. He's wanting God to change him. He's wanting to do better. There is a time for that. And David was a great man of God, but David backslid on God. And you know what David needed? He needed to change some things in his life. And so how can we be that person that's growing and unmovable at the same time? Because we, we want to be both. We want to be growing and unmovable. And again, to everything there is a season and a time. Psalms 1 one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So notice a couple things there. First off, if we're not walking the counsel, we'll be like a tree. Now trees, they change, don't they? But it's also not good if they move. Now, you can move a tree, but it always hurts its growth. It's bad for it. It's better if you can be planted, be planted in a good place, and then just grow. And that's what a good tree does. And notice it says that bringeth forth, forth his fruit in his season. A time is going to come where it's going to start bringing forth fruit. It's going to start producing something, but it's something that it, ta it takes time. It's going to come in his season. And we ought to want to be like that tree, something that's changing. I remember the house where I grew up, there were these trees along the front of the property that, you know, we would look at pictures and stuff. I remember and just notice how they were always changing. There was a whole row of them. And after we moved, we were driving by and we'd go a long time without going by there, but we'd see the growth in those trees. And it was just always something that we watched and noticed. Uh, I had the idea years ago, my family was making fun of me the other day. I've always wanted to plant a group of trees representing each individual of our family. And then that way too, if we ever move away, the kids can come drive by. Hey, those are the trees we planted. That one represents me. And everybody's making fun of me for it because I want to plant this group of trees and I want to call them the McMurtrys. And I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Everybody's making fun of me and talking about dad jokes and stuff, but I think it's brilliant, and I'm, I'm going to do it, and I, I'm, I'm kind of insulted that everybody uh, thinks that's so funny. I, I think it's brilliant, but anyway, I'm not going to defend myself here to preach the Bible, but turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. So, how can we do that? How can we be that person? How can we be someone who is growing and unmovable at the same time? And first thing is growing to where you're unmovable, you have to understand it takes time. It takes time. You're not just going to, you just don't just turn on a movable one day. It's something that takes time. Hebrews 5.11 says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, 
and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So notice, even as a Christian, when you get saved, and we believe once saved, always saved, but after you get saved, you are supposed to grow. Now, growth is not automatic just because you're saved. If you are going to grow, you're going to have to eat. You're going to have to be fed. You want to know why there's a lot of saved people that even years later don't really aren't accomplishing much because they're not eating, they're not growing, they're not getting any nutrition, and as a re- they're not getting any roots, and as a result of that, they never bear any fruit. But I'm telling you right now, when it comes to this concept of growing and being unmovable, something we all need to remember, and this is just an important lesson, that before we run our mouth about anything, we should allow some time to pass. We really should. We should allow time to pass. 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy, he he learned something. He got on it right away. He made a YouTube channel immediately. He started a blog, a podcast, and he was all over it. No, he'd learned them, but he'd also been assured of them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. One thing that is killing so many people today in this age of social media is people are going from babe in Christ to teacher overnight. A lot of times because they got a good personality, you know, or a lot of people, they already have a following for something else and they get saved. And, you know, and thank God when they want to tell other people about Jesus, but when they try to become teachers immediately, they crash and burn every time, or they just make the truth look bad because they're not prepared to defend anything. Now, I, even myself, when I when I changed on eschatology, it was it was three years before I even really started teaching anything here, let alone putting anything online. You know, I I, I went through all kinds of time where I was challenging myself. I was letting others challenge me. I, I was teaching things here in the church. And, the, and then before I ever even became publicly vocal about it, I never even tried to. It just kind of happened because, you know, people found out uh, what I was teaching. And then I start getting just creamed from every angle. But, I mean, I, I did not just immediately learn that one day. I was like, hey, I'm going to go out and straighten the world out on that. No, it's like, you know what? I got to get grounded in this first. I need to get settled on these things first. I need to get some... Uh, some roots first, but we see people today, they're just immediately, celebrity Christians, they're the worst ones. And I, I almost feel sorry for the celebrity when they get saved because every group out there wanting to bring awareness to their organization, they latch onto them because thinking, man, if we can get this person to speak at our conference, whatever, everybody's going to hear about it. It's great advertisement. I mean, just, you know, think about, you know, who... I mean, who who are the famous influential people today? You know, if I want to reach Gen Z, if I could get Logan Paul saved or something, you know, if Logan Paul got saved, but you know, and here's, if if Logan Paul got saved, he would be immediately getting invited to preach at all kinds of things because he's famous, because he's influential. But is he prepared? Is he going to be prepared to be defending the scriptures when he's just gotten saved? No. And, you know, he's going to have every false prophet is here. Hey, you know, you need to come and you know, teach what we're teaching. And 
They're not, they're not going to know what to do. And these people get exploited all the time. I've seen it. I remember watching Deion Sanders preach at a black church right after, not long after getting saved. And it was embarrassing. But he was famous. He was a football player and a baseball player. And everybody knew who he was. And it was, you know, it was, it was kind of sad and pathetic. You know, Kirk Cameron, you know, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing, folks. I know, he's, I know, you know he's been a Christian for a long time now. But he has been so messed up by just all the typical people that want to latch on to somebody from Hollywood. And that's what happens every time. And they end up causing a lot of problems. And let me tell you, these celebrities, if they had any wisdom, after they got saved, you know what they'd do? They'd shut up for years. And, now, and, and, and I know what people are going to think, but I'm going to show you something with Paul. This might take a, few, a, a little bit of time, but I think it's important to see this. Because the, the Apostle Paul, people often think of him as going from a persecutor of the church to just this apostle writing the epistles that we all use as doctrine like overnight. Because you can go from reading chapter 7 and you can read through the book of Acts in a couple days. Easy. Without trying very hard. But understand, there's more time that passed between some of these things we realize. I want us to just look at a few things that I don't think people realize about the Apostle Paul after his conversion. So in Acts 7.58, this is where we see the first mention of him, at the stoning of Stephen, and it says, they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And we see in the next chapter that Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was in leadership in Judaism and probably at a very young age. You know, He was taught by Gamaliel. He was taught from a young age. He was a Pharisee. He had all these credentials and things. But Saul was someone who is in leadership and had authority persecuting the church. And often you see that to just a little bit later, we see him preaching the gospel. So people, also, they, they all of a sudden see him as Apostle Paul almost overnight. And so now it's justified when this guy just gets saved or just switches religions and he's now teaching everybody how it's done a year later. No, that's not what happened at all. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 Paul speaking here. This is many years later. But he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof you might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So this was Paul's credentials before he got saved. He's a Pharisee. He's in leadership. But then he had built a name for himself and the sky was the limit for him in the Jewish religion. He was way up there at a young age. He, he could have probably went as far as he wanted as a leader in the Jewish religion. But did you know that when he got saved, he started all over. He didn't go from big shot in Judaism to big shot in Christianity overnight. That is not what happened. How long was it before he got put in leadership? Well, look at Acts chapter 9, verse 18. This is after he gets saved, and immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Okay, now, when it says he was with them certain days, how much time would you just think that is in your mind? Yes. When we talk about days, typically, we're talking in like weeks at the most, Right? But did you know it was actually quite a bit longer than that, that he was in Damascus? You know, how many days was it? 
know, should we be talking days, weeks, months, years? Well, actually, we can find out. Um, there's another place in the Bible we're going to get to here in just a minute. But notice in verse 20, okay? He's with certain, he's certain days in Damascus, verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Okay, now this is not Paul immediately being leadership. You know what this was? Paul immediately was a soul winner after getting saved. Okay, I don't think you have to go through you know, years of training in Bible college and all that kind of stuff to become a soul winner. Okay? We do see Paul immediately becoming a soul winner after being saved. I think that's appropriate. I do also think he probably was exceptional at this for many reasons. He was probably already a good speaker. That can help. But I believe also, too, he had a previous knowledge of the law that was great, which would have given him a great advantage over a new Greek convert. You know, and so some of these people, too, you know, who just get saved and have never been involved in Christianity, you know, like even Pastor Obi that's going to be here, even though he wasn't saved, he had a lot of knowledge of the Bible. He had a lot of, you know, leadership ability from pastoring before. There were some things that carried over, and Paul would have had some things that carried over, uh, you know, when he became a Christian. But he still was not immediately in leadership. But it says, but all that, were, that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name out in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So again, how many days? How long was Paul in Damascus? Well, Verse 24 says, But their length and weight was, not, was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in the basket. <clears throat> and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when, uh, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and, and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So notice, Paul is still not in leadership. He, comes to, he leaves Damascus, he comes to Jerusalem, but he's preaching the gospel. He's getting people saved, and he's doing a good job at it. He is an exceptional soul winner, but the church has not given him any position yet. But he is an effective soul winner. So, how long was he in Damascus? How long was he in Tarsus? Well, it doesn't tell us in Acts, but in Galatians 1.14, it says, "...and profited in the Jews' religion..." Above many my equals in mine own nation. Again, Paul was, he was riding high in the Jews' religion. He was moving up. Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And watch this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode in 15 days. So those certain days that we see, he was there for three years. He's there for three years, learning, soul winning, helping. He is not in any leadership. 
After those three years, then he goes to Jerusalem. And understand, God had determined from the beginning that Paul was going to be a light to the Gentiles. But has Paul gone to the Gentiles yet? Has Paul started his ministry to the Gentiles yet? No, he has not. Paul has been faithfully working, serving, soul winning. He did in Damascus just for three years. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And the Bible doesn't tell us any numbers to work with or how much time passed uh, to when the church had rest that we see. It mentions, I think it's in Acts chapter 9, it mentions the church having rest. So there was a period, there's a period of time where the persecution backed off. While still Saul, actually, is just serving there in the church. Now, I can't prove this to you, but if you look at Bible timelines and things, that period of time where Saul is there serving, where the church is having rest, it was another eight years. It was another eight years. And Paul, he's not even Paul yet. He has not been given a position yet. The church hasn't sent him out to do anything yet. But now when we get to Acts chapter 11, so this is, this is probably 10 to 12 years after Paul has been saved. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we got another year that's passed right here. Okay, Paul's been saved roughly 12 years. We have four years that are specifically mentioned. But we have an unknown period of time that I'm only going to assume uh, the historians are right on. But even four years, that, that's pretty good. Okay? Paul didn't just go start his YouTube channel right after getting saved and change the name of it. You know, I, and, and uh, one, there's, there's a guy out there who is an atheist who's made videos against me before that supposedly now he's not an atheist anymore. Okay? And hey, and he, he still doesn't know if he's a believer in Jesus. You know what? I hope the guy gets saved. I really do. But you know what? I sure hope, while it would be fun for our crowd to parade around, that, hey, this guy that was on your side is now on our side. You know what? He will be in no position to be teaching anytime soon. And you know what? The worst thing that could happen is for him to go teaching atheism to teaching Christianity overnight. That guy needs to get plugged in. Well, first off, he needs to get saved and figure out that Jesus is God you know, and trust in him. But then he needs to get plugged. He needs to get baptized. He needs to get plugged into a church. He needs to grow. He needs to get some roots. And, I, and I'm hoping. I don't. I don't know. But I, I see that happen all the time. You got these YouTube channels. Yeah, I was an atheist last year. Now I'm into Christian apologetics, and I'm out there debating atheists. Shut up and sit down. Get into a church and go get some roots. Go learn something first. Go be a soul winner. Go do one-on-one stuff. But stop. You don't need a platform. You're not ready to be in leadership yet. You need some roots. Because you know what's going to happen? Pretty soon, you're going to go and you're going to grow into Mormonism or something like that. Or grow into Reformed theology or something. And you're going to keep making us look bad. We've got these people that are always switching religions all the time. Listen, before sometimes people need to change. But when, some, when you do have that major change, you need to go get rooted in that for a long time. You need to grow. In that area. It said, and let's keep looking at with, with Paul. In Acts 11.27, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dirt throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And the, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto brethren which dwelt in Judea. 
which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now we're seeing Saul, still Saul. Okay, 12 years later probably, he's still Saul. And we see him getting, getting a role where they're basically just going and distributing you know, uh, physical things to the saints that are in Jerusalem because there was a great famine that was going on in the land. And, you know, and notice, it's Barnabas and Saul. He's kind of the second guy. And so we see in his job, it was a menial task. He's sending physical relief to the brethren. He's not this great spiritual leader yet. We see in Acts 12.25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So they finished the work they were given to do. And then in chapter 13, chapter 13, again, I can't tell you for sure, but years have passed. I know you just read Acts 7 yesterday. And now you're in Acts chapter 13. Paul, immediately, he's in leadership doing stuff. So I can do the same thing too. This is years later. Years later, after he's proven himself, after he's been a faithful soul winner, after he's been an effective soul winner, after he's been given a job to do a lowly task, and he does that, and he faithfully serves after he's done these things. In chapter 13, now there were certain in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had begun, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And notice, God tells the church, You pick Saul. Saul didn't come running. I'm going to be the next guy. I want to be a pastor. I want to ordain, you know, ordain me. You know, that's why I came here. I came here so you could ordain me. I want to be a pastor. Lay hands on me. What do I got to do? No, Paul's just, he, or Saul. He's still Saul. He's just been serving. For years. And the Holy Ghost told the church, I want Barnabas and Saul. That's, that's how it worked. And it says in verse 13, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Right there is where Saul is finally ordained. Years, over a decade later, after he's faithfully been serving, we don't see him demanding anything, even though God had told him, I'm going to make you a light to the Gentiles. God, God had obviously put that in his heart, and he, he knew something was going on, but he just faithfully served. He submitted to the church. He still saw. And then, in verse 9, then Saul, now we see him called Paul. This is the first time we see him called Paul. Years later, then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. We're not going to take time to read it. And then he does his first miracle. And then, I'm not going to read the examples, but then, if you go on, all of a sudden we don't see Barnabas and Saul. We start seeing Paul and Barnabas. We see later, too, when Paul's speaking, and it mentions how Paul, because he was the chief speaker. It just kind of naturally happened where Paul came into a leadership role. We see where he becomes that prophet. in chapter. It was in chapter 14 when he's preaching, and they called... Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. So Paul still hasn't written one epistle yet. But God is greatly advancing him. God is using him in a great way. You know what Paul's doing? He's growing. We're watching Paul grow. And I've showed you all this to show you Saul was a leader as a Jew. But when he changed, he didn't just become a leader in Christianity. He started all over. He started from the bottom. And he worked his way up. And it took him years 
before he did these things. And so once God gets you established in something and has proven something to you, it should be your goal to continue and to grow and to increase in that thing. You need to ask God to help you get settled when it comes to doctrine. You need to get help God to uh, ask God to help you get settled when it comes to your way of life. And then as you do, you want to grow in that. You want to grow those roots. Why? So you won't be moved from it. You don't. There's some things we don't want to move from. Second Peter 1, 5, And beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you think if we add all these things to our life, it's going to change us? Yeah, we're going to change a lot, but we're growing. We're bearing more fruit. So we're not, we're not moving. You know, so all these people that are always moving to a new thing and they call it growing. No, growing is when you're staying in something and just becoming greater in it and becoming more fruitful in it. That, that's, what, that's what it is. And so I wish people who change would at least just have the decency to say, you know what, it's time for me to shut up for a while. I'm starting all over. That's what they should do, but they immediately want to be leaders in those things too, and that is not right. They start putting themselves as an authority on something. Immediately, that is not right. And so when people have a conversion... They need to stop putting themselves out there as teachers. That is wrong. That is a red flag. Watch out for those people. And once God gets you established in something, has proven you, then grow, continue. And there is a time. There is, listen, there is a time to uproot. And, but you know what? When you uproot, you're starting all over. And when you do, you need to start all over. But there's also a time to stay and to grow and to add things in your life. And we need to add the things mentioned in Second Peter chapter 1. Those are good things to add. Why? Because they'll make you more fruitful. Those are the things we need to add. We also need to add the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You should always be adding that. You add that in your life, boy, you're going to change a lot. But folks, that's growing. That's growing. That, and that, and, uh, so there is, there's, a, there's a places where we want to be unmovable. There's places where we need to be growing. Both things are true and we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians three eleven, I'll close with this. Now God Himself and the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So hopefully this message, if it did anything, it helped you understand the truth of both concepts. We want to be unmovable in the things that we know are right. When Once you have been assured of something, it should be your goal to stay in that, to get some roots, and then to grow and to abound in that. It is not growing when you uproot and you change into something completely different. And if you do, and there is a time for that. There is a time. I wish every Catholic would uproot and start all over. I wish, I wish every one of them would do that. But you know what? They're going to be starting over. They're going to get saved. They're going to become a babe in Christ. I'd love to see a priest get saved and become a Baptist preacher. But you know what? I don't want them to see him become a Baptist preacher next week. You know, he needs to start over. He needs to take some time. 
he needs to get established. What's the timeline? 12 years based on Paul? I don't know. Don't, don't ask me that. You know, you got to judge every situation. Every situation is different. Because, you know, what, what if it's a guy converting from Southern Baptist to Independent Baptist? You know, that's not as big of a change. You, you, you know, you got to judge every situation. And to everything there is a season and a time. And so let's keep that focus in our mind. Lord, help us always to be growing. But Lord, help us always to be unmovable at the same time. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for uh, your word and uh, lessons we can get from it. I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Help us to learn from these things, apply them to our life. Help us, Lord, to get settled and, sta- and established in what we believe. Help us to uh, grow roots in these things. Help us to become uh, more solid. And I pray to help us to be more effective and, and fruitful as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. So